My name is Madeline. I'm a medical student and host of the Voices of Aging podcast out of the Aging Studies Interdisciplinary Group at the University of Minnesota. This week is Careers in Aging Week. For the occasion, we have a week's worth of episodes lined up from a variety of folks involved in aging work. Make sure to tune in every day this week to learn all you can about working in aging. Welcome to Voices of Aging, where you learn more about aging through experts. We are ASIC, the Aging Studies Interdisciplinary Group at the University of Minnesota. Every episode, we invite people working in a variety of different fields related to aging and hear their stories. Tune in, either you're considering a career in aging, or want to learn more about aging fields, or simply want to listen to a stimulating conversation, you will find something you like. Find Voices of Aging on the iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. This is Madeline, host of the Voices of Aging podcast. Today, our guest is Rachel Shands. Rachel is the Home and Community-Based Services Manager in the Aging and Adult Services Division at the Minnesota Department of Human Services. Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. I'm really excited to speak with you. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. Of course. I was wondering if we could start just by having you introduce yourself to our audience. Tell us about what you do, what you're working on as it pertains to aging. Sure. Uh, So as you said, I work for the Minnesota Department of Human Services, and I am a manager in the Aging and Adult Services Division. And my team oversees the state's uh, Medicaid waiver services for older adults. So these are all of the publicly funded home and community-based services that are available to people who are generally low-income and who need supports to live in the community. Um, These are alternatives to a nursing home or institutional placement. So uh, we manage this program for the state, and we implement state and federal requirements. We set provider standards. Uh, We work on rate setting um, and just general policy issues related to these programs, all with the goal of helping people live the lives that they want to live um, in the community with the kind of support that they need in the community um, to have the best quality of life possible. That's incredible. And there's so many factors involved in that work. I would imagine it's a lot to juggle at once sometimes. What does a typical day look like for you in your job? Um, A typical day for me looks like a lot of meetings. (laughs) Um, And so it it can be a whole host of things. During the legislative session, uh, as the Minnesota legislature is in session, there's a lot to do to uh, just respond to the legislative activity, whether it's, you know, we are part of putting together the governor's budget and governor's proposals. Um, so needing to support that uh, that work and, and support the governor's efforts um, or responding to legislator ideas or other advocacy or stakeholder uh, requests for technical assistance on, um, you know, ideas that they have uh, that we, we as an agency would need to implement. So uh, give some feedback and support to help people, you know, 
craft uh, something that they would like to do uh, through the legislative process. Um, so during legislative session, which is typically January or February through May, um, a lot of my time is spent um, on those issues. Otherwise, uh, it, it just kind of varies depending on what are some of the big issues happening in the state um, in terms of where I'm spending my time. Um, right now, folks may know that the state is bringing up a new licensure system for assisted living. And so that is actually being headed up by the Minnesota Department of Health. Um, but our agency, we are a payer of assisted living services for our public pay participants. And so we're pretty involved in that work and those discussions um, in terms of how it impacts our program. So just attend a lot of, of meetings and do work internally at our agency to prepare for that. So yeah, just a couple of, of examples of things um, that are, are happening right now. We're also, we have a pretty large effort going on to update our, our system that our lead agencies, uh, we call them lead agencies, um, used to do assessments to determine if people are eligible for services. Uh, we call this the Min Choices Assessment, and we're working with a new software, a third-party software provider. So we're, I've got a whole team of people working on that effort, meeting with our software vendor to build that system. So it, it really can can run the whole gamut of <laughs> of issues and, and meetings and things that I and my team are attending to. Great, thank you so much. What did your career interests look like as a graduate student and how did that evolve over time, if at all? Well, I actually got interested in the aging field um, as an undergraduate. So I uh, went to St. Olaf and I had a, a social work major and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with that until I did my senior year internship placement. And then I was at a county and, and I worked both with older adults and their families and kids with disabilities. And I just really gravitated toward working with older adults and their families and thought this was something I'd like to explore more. So after I graduated, I got a job uh, working at a nursing home and I was a, a social worker there doing discharge planning and um, worked with a whole team of other healthcare professionals to work with people who are generally coming in for a short-term stay to get some rehabilitation after hospitalization, and then working with that interdisciplinary team and with the person and family to figure out a plan for how that person can go home and what kind of supports they needed. And I think in that job, I mean, I really enjoyed it. It was hard, hard work, um, but I, I learned so much um, about our system, and I just really saw how the the resources and the systems and you know how how well that's coordinated or not can make such a difference for people and in their success and their family's success and being able to to go home and and have the kind of life that they want. So I think that that's probably what got me interested more in policy work. So that's when I decided to go back to graduate school to get a master's in social work. Um, I went back to the University of Minnesota or went to the University of Minnesota. Um, and uh, for my master's in social work, I went through the, the macro level concentration program is what they called it at the time. And it wasn't an aging focused program, but it, um, it focused just generally on policy and administration and human services. But I did do my internship during my graduate program at the Metropolitan Area Agency on Aging. So I was able to you know, bring in my interest in the aging field into that graduate work 
through that internship. And so I learned a lot about the funding sources and providers and services that are out there to provide home and community-based services. That was really where I spent most of my time uh, within my graduate program um, in terms of aging concentration. Do you want me to just keep talking about kind of career from there? Or do you have more questions about like uh, graduate school in particular? Well, yeah. And I actually have a couple follow-up questions sure. from that. I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit more to exactly what it is about aging individuals that was so appealing to you as you were considering a career, because I definitely relate to that as well. Yeah. Um, I think that I... I just really enjoyed interacting with older adults and hearing their stories and just recognizing all of the experiences that they'd had over their lives. And, and I think people that I was was working with, you know, they just seemed to have such a strong idea about what they wanted. And they weren't really being swayed by what other people thought they should do. I mean, they... And it made sense to me, you know, they've had all of this experience, they know themselves, they know what's important to them. And um, I just found that really gratifying to work with. I also just thought that, you know, aging and aging is just such a natural part of the human experience. And, you know, if we're lucky, we're all going to age. <laughs> um, and so just to, to be able to be with people and with families and support them through that journey and, and make, you know, the later part of someone's life, um, you know, help, help support them to make it as rich and rewarding as possible. Um, I just really appreciated what people have to give um, and the wisdom and that they have to offer and just found it to be a really rewarding place to work, I guess, in this, in this field. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the aging individuals and their families um, deserve so much respect and uh, it can be a really rewarding thing to get to work with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you look back at kind of your educational and career path, do you recall any specific experiences or maybe eureka moments that really directed you to exactly where you are now? Or was it just kind of a natural progression? It was um, really a natural progression. I mean, I've I've had this interest in aging, as I said, really since my senior year of undergraduate. But I did not envision myself working for the state. Uh, you know, working as a manager over our state's Medicaid waiver program. I, I don't think I could have envisioned that specifically for myself. So I think it was just a series of you know I'm interested in this field and trying out different roles and different jobs and seeing where my interests and talents fit the best. And as I said, I started out in direct practice at the nursing home. And then after I graduated from grad school, I did a couple of years at a community nonprofit organization working with family caregivers and um, then had an opportunity to apply for a job at the state of Minnesota. And that was in 2008. So I've been with the state for 13 years now, and I've just done a variety of, of roles. I've just been really lucky and very supported in my career to have um, people, both you know, supervisors, bosses, peers who've mentored and supported me and um, provided encouragement. And, um, and I've had different opportunities to, to do different things. So 
even at the state, I started out doing grants management. um, And then I did legislative coordination for our division. And that really was um, a very educational experience, just learning about the legislative process more up close and and how a state agency gets involved with that. Um, And then I moved into this this team that I'm on now uh, that oversees the Medicaid waiver. I just working at the state and kind of seeing the different programs and services and roles, even within the aging division um, that were available. I just really gravitated toward this, the Medicaid program and the mission of that program and the opportunities um, to, you know, use my skills to really strengthen that. Um, so, no, I could not have envisioned this in particular. <laughs> I think it was just being open to experiences and opportunities. And then also just, you know, being really honest with myself about what I liked and didn't like about different roles and where I thought my strengths and skills fit the best. And I don't know that this is, you know, where I'm going to end up by any means. Um, I, I have no idea what might be next. And I'm, I expect to be where I am for quite a while, but probably not until I retire. So <laughs> and still yeah. keeping, keeping it open for more, more growth and more opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's really important. If you when you look back to, I guess, specifically your your education, is there anything you wish you had done differently to prepare you for the career field that you're in or kind of the surrounding careers? You know, I don't know that there's anything I would have done differently in my education process, necessarily. I think I made the best decisions I could at the time. And so with the, with the information I had and the resources I had. And I think, you know, one thing I kind of had to let go of was that, oh gosh, if I didn't learn this in grad school, how am I ever going to know it? And there's always ways to continue your education and your, your learning and your growth. And so, you know, maybe right after grad school, I, I may have stressed a little bit about, gosh, did I get enough policy in my education? But I think I've let go of that and just realized that there's always opportunities through through work experience and through continuing education or, you know, I, I don't have any plans for this, but certainly could be possible, you know, to go back for a certificate program or more education. So, um, so I would just advise people not to stress too much and, and think that you've got to really get it all you know, within within a certain program, um, because there's always just way, way more out there to learn and know than <laughs> one person really could ever know. And so do the best you can, you know, and and trust that experience is going to lead you to more experiences. I think that's very reassuring for us students. What do you think is the most challenging aspect of the work that you do? And it's okay if that's related to maybe gaps in care or access to care, things like that? I think the most challenging aspect of the work that I do is um, just the fact of working in a, a large government agency. The pace can be of work can be slow and there's always some new issue and there's always things that can take up a lot of time. And so it's, it can be hard to uh, feel as though you're focusing your energy on the things that, you know, you think are going to be the most impactful. And so just staying 
motivated and, and engaged in figuring out ways to try to preserve your time and energy for the things that, you know, you know, are the priorities and should be the priorities. And that's just an ongoing daily kind of, <laughs> kind of struggle. But I think there's enough of those days or those moments where you think, yeah, I think what we did today, it was a, it was a piece of something, you know, moving toward a, a larger goal and we moved the ball forward. So Yep, you just got to find those and and know that, you know, it's not every moment, but but they're there. And overall, uh, the work is moving forward and you're making a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And that perfectly segues into the next question, um, which is what do you find to be most rewarding about the work that you do? Yeah, I mean, I in my job, we are a little bit removed from the people that are using our programs and their family members. And so I really love hearing um, stories and examples um, from case managers or from providers when they share something that has gone well or how they were able to leverage our program to get resources, to get services in for somebody uh, that really helped them stay at home and made a difference in their lives. And uh, we don't always get those stories um, because, you know, we tend to hear when things aren't going well. Um, otherwise, you know, why would you be contacting the state just to let them know things are working, you know, as expected. Um, but I do find that really gratifying when I do hear some of those stories um, from people about how the programs made a difference in their life. Um, and so I think absent, you know, hearing those daily stories, I think it's just knowing that the work we do on a daily, daily basis is impacting so many people in a positive way. And that even when we're not getting all of those stories and feedback, uh, we know that this program really matters and it is making a difference for people. I'd love to hear your take on what you see as a current gap in care for aging individuals or perhaps a lack of resources for the aging community. Yeah, good question. I mean, I think something that we struggle with a lot is, uh, well, it, it's interesting because our program pays for services as a Medicaid program. We don't pay for any housing. Um, we pay for services, but housing is so critical to people's well-being. And so I think finding ways to help older adults either remain in their housing and whether that's through, you know, home modifications or other kinds of supports to help people maintain their housing or affordable rental housing. And this is really kind of the key to the home and community-based services model is that people have, have housing that is affordable and that um, meets their needs and preferences for where they want to live. So that would be a big thing. I would also say that, you know, we just have a um, a lack of providers who are able to really robustly serve, especially low income seniors. And um, so provider access for particularly providers who are willing to go into people's homes. I think that people rightly or wrongly, assume that sometimes the only way you can get an older person can get the kind of support that they need is to move into an assisted living type of setting. And so I would love to see 
you know, a, a much more robust in-home support model um, that would be available to anybody in the state and that older adults and family members would see that as, you know, just as viable an option as some as moving into a, an assisted living setting. And those settings are very expensive. Um, so, you know, that that is definitely a part of the consideration as well. I wholeheartedly agree with both of those observations. And I'm curious to go along sort of with that and to bring things to a more personal level, um, if you're comfortable, is when you imagine the care of older people in your own life, has your work changed your perspective on that or your personal wishes for them? Yeah, I do think about that um, quite a bit. And I am very aware of the the workforce shortage um, for uh, direct support workers who are working both in residential settings as well as, you know, coming into people's homes. And I definitely do wonder about, um, you know, for older adults in my life, my my in-laws um, are older now than my parents. So they're probably going to be the first um, f- family members or the next family members in my life who are going to need to make some decisions like this. But then I think of my parents as well, who are um, younger and still quite healthy. I do wonder about this. And I, I myself see, especially with my own parents, envision taking a pretty active role in providing that support myself as a family member, to be quite honest. I think that that, uh, and, and there's going to be limits to that, I'm certain. And, and it's really hard to predict what those needs are going to be. Um, and so I hope that there is, you know, a system and providers and um, an availability to get support. But I, I definitely see myself taking on um, as much of that as I can, um, because I think that that's going to be how they get the best care. Absolutely. Um, I feel very similarly. And I think that says a lot about the current resources and whether that be related to quality or quantity that exist. The fact that um, probably most of us feel we would want to have a pretty hands-on role with that kind of care. And um, just to kind of wrap things up here on a more positive note, it is often assumed that the aging population has sort of a collective wisdom experiences to learn from, as you were referencing before. So I would love to hear if you have any nuggets of wisdom to pass along that you've heard from an older person. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's a, you know, a particular older person, um, but what's coming to mind is just sort of a, a general sense that I got from many older people that I worked with that they just really um, owned their, their experience and owned their age and, you know, had gotten to a point in this, in this society, which is, you know, quite ageist and, you know, tells us to push back against our age. And a lot of people, you know, whether they had that in the past or not, have just gotten to a point of not caring about that at all and just owning everything that life had taught them and and kind of every year of of their life making them who they were. So I've really tried to embody that in my own life and celebrate every birthday and um, own my age and also just try to push back against, you know, a lot of the subtle ageism that we encounter um, 
uh, you know, and that friends and family members uh, will put forward about, oh my gosh, another year older. And it's like, we really need to flip that and say, another year older. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, we have lived another year on this earth and gained another year of experience and wisdom. And how cool is that? You know, I want to live to be 95 for sure and just be, you know, this older person that is owning all 95 years of, of life experience. So <laughs> it's kind of more like, a, you know, aspirational. I want to be one of these people. <laughs> Absolutely. I love that. That's super inspiring. And I'm going to try to hold that with me. Well, I believe that concludes our conversation today. Thank you so much for joining me, Rachel. Yeah, thank you. Uh, these were great questions. And um, hope we have given some students some things to think about and just more interest in pursuing a career in this field. It's very rewarding. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This podcast is brought to you by ASIC, the Aging Studies Interdisciplinary Group at the University of Minnesota. We are a collaborative networking group for students studying aging across the university. Stay tuned for the next episodes of Voices of Aging, where you learn more about aging through experts.